Thank you, Allison and Chris. Thank y'all so much. Walter, are you still in here? It doesn't it say if I were a wise man, Allison, you can answer it. If I were a wise man, is it I were a wise man, I would give him my heart? Is that what the last one? Okay. Hey, your Bible's open to Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians 6. We're going to look at three different passages of Scripture. Now, next Sunday, I'll kind of start a, a mini-series on the, the Christmas, uh, the narrative of Christmas and messages about the birth of the Lord Jesus. But right now, I want to stay in, uh, in Ephesians um, and uh, want to use one verse or two verses, maybe more than that, in Ephesians 6 and then jump to a couple other passages of Scripture. Uh, this morning, I think in your uh, in your bulletins, I gave my sermon a title, and I think the title is what? Oh my goodness! So say, trivial pursuits. Let's say that together. Trivial pursuits. Now I get that from uh, two things. That's one reason I had Robbie read out of Philippians three, where. Paul, who is a Jew among Jews, who according to the law was blameless is what he says, and what he means by that is is that in outward appearance, nobody could accuse him of being a lawbreaker. He was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. But when he came to know Christ, everything else in his life became a big pile of dung. It's the word in the Greek. A big pile of mess compared to Christ. Folks, I honestly, if we know what the Bible says and we believe it, and we, we know the Christ of Christmas, I think about uh, a little town of Bethlehem. Uh, I won't sing the words, but that I think it's the second or third verse. It says One of the lines says, Oh, come to us about be you know, be born in us today is one of the verses I'm looking for. What's the words, Walter? Help me. You know the phrase I'm saying? Yeah, I know. It I'm says Okay. <laughs> this the second stanza, or I mean it's the second part of the hymn. I did remember seeing that. And it's two fifty, so you can look at it. But one of the phrases, you know, talking about the little town of Bethlehem prophetically, but it's small, all that. But it says, Be born in us today. Uh, and it's talking about the new birth and and that's where we want Christ to be. It's not about Christ in a manger. It's about the Son of God transforming our hearts and our lives. And I pray that you understand that's really what Christmas is all about. It's a, really it's an opportunity for us for a whole month to think about where our lives would be if it weren't for the coming of Christ. For, for us knowing the Christ of Christmas. Um, you know, the little cliché wise men still follow him and that that's really true um anyway the trivial pursuits i thought about paul that's why i had um robbie read out of philippians 3 because of what paul says but not only does he say i count it all as dung then he turns around and says i press on of the upward call he uses some athletic terms there running terms and talking about running with all of your strength. One of the words is you would describe what a runner does when he comes out of the blocks in a sprint, if you know anything about running. 
then one of the words he uses is what happens when you get to the finish line. That strain that you make to get past the finish line to be first. But what Paul is saying, it's not talking about a one ten second event of his life. He's saying his whole life is this way. You know, running with, with intention and, and pursuing Christ's likeness. That's, and folks, I pray that if anything happens in Christmas, you and I realize that everything else that this world offers compared to Christ is trivial. It's trivial. Um, speaking of trivial pursuits, uh, I don't know if you've ever played the game, but you know they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games of trivial pursuit. I, you may not be a trivial pursuit fan, but I mean they do it music, TV, old shows, uh, history, sporting events. I mean, you can literally go and look at it. They have got, I would imagine, probably thousands of editions of trivial pursuits. Well, folks, most of us have spent much of our lives in trivial pursuits. But for those of us that know Christ, that should no longer be. Paul on many occasions in the New Testament, describes our Christian life with athletic or military terms. As a matter of fact, a good portion of Ephesians 6 deals with the armor, putting on the whole armor of God. So I want to read that passage and then I want to take you to a couple of the places that Paul deals with this as it relates to the book of Ephesians. So I'm in Ephesians chapter 6 beginning at verse 10. Walter, did you know that Bell and Graff Gardens does lights at Christmas? Did you know that? I didn't know that. I, mean, I just happened to see this in the news, and, and let me just give you this illustration to think about. I was reading, it's kind of like Callaway Gardens. I have been to Callaway. Many of you have been to Callaway. Ken Maddox loves Callaway Gardens. Uh, we went a Christmas about 10 or 12 years ago, and we all about froze to death. And Ken, I mean, you're not going to believe this, but Ken had an attitude when we were at Callaway. He kept saying, I'll never do this again. You remember that, Ken? Yeah, you remember that. you never forget it. And you hadn't been back, have you? No? Okay. Anyway, so it's much like Callaway. I'm assuming Bellingrath Gardens is like that. But what they talk about is the millions and millions and millions of lights they have over 65 acres. And I'm sure, now there's pictures. You can go online and see some of the pictures. And I'm sure it's, it's fantastic. But I want you to listen to what a Bible verse Jesus says. This is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. And a lot of times when I see these massive decorations of lights, this is what Jesus says. He said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, what he meant by that is, is that if the religion or the philosophy that you're following is really not the answer to life. If you think you have the light, but that light is really darkness, how great is that darkness? And folks, I think that speaks volumes to many believers. Many believers are holding on to history, family, tradition. They bear no fruits of knowing Jesus Christ, but they're religious. 
And so Jesus says, a lot of us claim to have the light, but if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? As a matter of fact, one of the issues there is sometimes you can't convince those people that they're lost. Because they've convinced themselves that they are in the light. So if, you're, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Paul's talking about the, the armor of God. and any feed, Paul had plenty of time to be in prison. He wrote the prison epistles. In his first Roman imprisonment, he wrote four or five letters when he was in prison. His last imprisonment, he wrote 2 Timothy, and we'll look at that in just a second. So he had many occasions to see soldiers or he was chained to them. So he applies that to the Christian life. I'm in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Well, I tell you what, let's don't start there. Let's pick up at verse 5. Ephesians 6, 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That would be like employees. Uh, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Man, that's, that's a scathing verse, isn't it? How many of us do things just for people's sake, for eye service, and not from the heart because we love Jesus? Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or a free man. Masters, do the same to them. And, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Isn't that an awesome verse? So if you, if you have employees, don't treat them badly. Treat them as you would Christ. Great verse. Then he says, finally, finally be strong. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's very important. Uh, it's, you know, the Bible, Paul challenges Timothy several times to be strong. But it's always in, in what Christ supplies. We're not to be strong in our own strength. And he's not talking about a physical strength as such. He's talking about a spiritual strength. You know that. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Key word there being schemes. You know the devil, he's... He, he is a created being, by the way. He, the devil is, was made. He was made. He's an angel. Uh, his original position was one that God made him and made him a high-ranking or the highest-ranking angel. He's not God. He's not even close to being like God. He's not a big challenge to God. So it's not like it's almost an even fight that we're going to win in the end. No, the Lord Jesus and... God the Father and the Spirit is much more superior than the devil, but He has observed man for, for, uh, you know, for nearly 6,000 years. And so He knows man, He knows the sin nature, uh, and we need to apply the truths of the whole armor of God so we can 
stand against the schemes of, of the devil. For we do not struggle or wrestle against flesh and blood. Man is not our enemy. Other religions, they're not our enemy. We don't kill other religions. They're our mission field. They're not our enemy. Uh, the devil and his minions are in a spiritual war. So we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. We don't have time to study this. It's not the purpose this morning, but this is a... When it comes to understanding our battle with evil, this is a key verse. Very important verse. It's describing a hierarchy of, of military personnel. You have those up the food chain, and you have those down the food chain. You have all these different workers or, or soldiers from a negative, from a demonic standpoint. And so he kind of puts them in this leadership order. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Our, our word, arch, arch, archangel, arch ruler, headship. The rulers against the authorities, that means somebody has assigned them this privilege. And that word authority means it's been assigned by the devil. So, authorities against the cosmic powers uh, over this present darkness. The cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, I mean, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery flame or flaming darts of the evil one. I was reading an article that talked about some, and I don't know what battle it was, what, when it was, but a Roman soldier had taken off his uh, armor, his breastplate and armament, and, uh, and the shield of faith, the faith, the shield, and they counted in the shield alone there were over 200 arrows that he had blocked during this battle. And so we talk, we think about in our spirit, how many, how many darts of evil and of temptation, of false philosophy and of apathy, whatever is being shot at us, we take the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation. Think about you know, Christ is the head of the church and, and so we put on the helmet of salvation so we're going to think God's thoughts and think Christ's thoughts. So this helmet that, that protects our minds, put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you want a helmet and you want a sword. Can you imagine? And of course, that's the only offensive weapon. So from this standpoint, the Apostle Paul says, as us as Christian soldiers, using this as an example, most everything we have is defensive. And there's, 
There's only one offensive weapon, but it's the only one we need, right? What is it? Word of God. Just think about what that answer is. And then, then think about how often or how, how willing you are committed to learning that, the Word. So the only offensive weapon that we have, it's the only one we need. And Jesus gave us that example when He was tempted. I mean, He just quoted Old Testament Scripture. Uh, is the Word. Can you imagine going to battle without a sword? But many of us are in a conflict with evil and we have yet to sharpen our sword. Some of us haven't even pulled it out. But yet we think, we think everything's okay. This is, this is an extremely important text and understanding our armament. You know, the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God. So the Spirit's going to use the Word. By the way, if you're not in the Word, the Spirit takes the Word Convicts us, draws us unto Christ's likeness, you know, convicts us of sin, brings things to all these things the Spirit does, but He does it by using the Word. And if you're not in the Word, He doesn't have those opportunities to do that. I mean, and also, for, and He says, so take them to salvation and the sword of Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then he says, also for me, the words that words may be given to me in opening my mouth and boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And then he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says, whether I'm in prison or not, I want to, I want to be able to preach the gospel with power. Now, that's the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote that to, to the Ephesian Christians let's say around 60, 61 A.D. Now go to the book of 2 Timothy. Take a right and go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is at the end of Paul's life. And I want you to listen to what he says. I'm in 2 Timothy 4, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses so he writes to Timothy, let's just say 60, he rounded off 60 A.D. This is about 64, 65 A.D., four or five years later. He's in his second Roman imprisonment. He knows he has no hope of release. Um, the gauntlet's been laid down. Uh, the executioner's sword, I mean, he, he knows his, his, he doesn't have much time left. And so this is kind of like Paul's last will and testament, the book of 2 Timothy is. And he's leaving Timothy in charge. Okay? He's pastoring the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is the largest church in Asia Minor. And we know that. That's why Jesus, when he speaks to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, he starts with Ephesus because the other six follow that in a route of mail, how the mail would go. And so, but the book. Ephesus was the largest. Paul says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Folks, there are some things that are worth fighting for, right? There are a lot of things worth running for. So Paul says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Folks, it's not wrong to be motivated by rewards. It's all throughout the New Testament. Christ has promised to reward our faithfulness. One of the verses, one of the quotes Jesus makes is He will reward you 100 fold. I think that's 10,000%. So, because what time alone would guarantee you that. Today is the beginning of the rest of eternity for you. And, and, and the Bible says your deeds follow you in the book of Revelation. So everything you do has not, it's eternal issues. Rewards will follow you. Your work, your labor for eternity. So Paul says, you know, I, I, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the court. I've, I've kept the faith. Now, look at chapter 2. I'm still in 2 Timothy and we'll finish with this. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Jesus says, uh, in John 6, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Literally it says, and the flesh is no help at all. Amen? The Spirit gives life. The flesh your old nature is absolutely no help when it comes to running this race or fighting this fight or keeping this faith. Look what he tells Timothy. Now, Timothy is young in the sense compared to... He's not a teenager, but he is a young man. Um, Some were probably in his 20s, late 20s. He says, chapter 2, verse 1, So then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Um, that word uh, strengthen is the word to be innate. Literally, it's the word. It's the word. It's the root word. Not exactly. It's the root word where we get our word dynamite. So it's it's having this power within. It's, so it's an, it's an enablement. It's, a, it's an inward empowerment. So be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know why you're not going to hell? If you're saved, do you know why you're not going to hell? The grace of Christ. Do you know why you have spiritual gifts to use in the church? Do you know why? The grace of Christ. 
Do you know why God didn't remove you off the face of the earth today for some of your thoughts and attitudes? Do you know why? The grace of Christ. Do you know why Jesus hadn't come back and raptured the church and started the tribulation? You know why it hadn't happened yet? The grace of Christ. He's still some more folks He wants to save prior to His coming. It's all about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, you know, when we talk about the grace, we are saved by grace. We know that. God's redemptive act concerning eternity, God's riches at Christ's expense, however you want to define it. But we are not only saved by grace, we are sustained by grace. So Paul tells Timothy to be strong in the grace. Um, folks, as a leader, as a spiritual leader, so to speak, or well, that's not more than so to speak, it is as a spiritual leader, you know, if it wasn't for the grace of God, you'd want to run and hide. Because you know you're not qualified, you're not, you don't measure up a lot, and, but you have the calling and you have the grace of God, and so you do it. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we're supposed to be, and by the way, back in 1 Timothy, he dealt with the qualifications for pastors or elders. Elders, pastors, bishops. And then he dealt with the qualifications for deacons. So when you read this and he says, you know, what you've heard from me and trust to other faithful men, we see those faithful men defined how they are. It's not talking about, you know, all their gifts. It's talking about their character. If you read, it's these men have character. They're, 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 they're uh, you, you know, they're spiritual giants. They're examples in the church. And so... I believe that's probably who Paul's talking about, that we want to pass this on to other people. And he says, who can teach others also. Then he says, share in suffering. Here, here it is, and we'll stop here. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He mentions suffering numerous times in 1 Timothy, several times in 2 Timothy. Uh, one scholar I read said, it is the soil of suffering that produces the greatest fruits. The soil of suffering produces the greatest fruits. As a matter of fact, even in your own personal life, some of the greatest marks of growth that I've had were in moments of suffering or being persecuted. I think there's truth in that. So share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Armor of God in Ephesians 6. No soldier gets entangled. Paul was a tent maker by trade. The word that's translated entangled is the word weave. I would imagine Paul had weaved a lot of stitches in his life. It is the word. So no soldier weaves his life in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And folks, in salvation, in the call to serve Christ, if you've met the Christ of Christmas, you didn't volunteer. No. You didn't choose Him. 
Jesus says, I chose you. So Paul reminds us that he's enlisted as our as the captain of our salvation, as the book of Hebrews says, Jesus has enlisted us to serve Him. No soldier gets weaved into the civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So that's a soldier. No athlete or an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Interesting there were written rules for athletic events. There were rules they had to follow. They signed a covenant even before they participated in the games. Their training could only last 10 months. There were certain things they could and could not do in the Roman world, Roman games, all these, and they had to sign a covenant. So you were not crowned unless you competed according to the rules. And, and Christ alone, you know, that's when Paul says, when he's talking about running in, he, in Philippians 3, he says, I'm running towards the mark. It's the word for finish post. And that finish post is Christ. I'm looking. And that's why Hebrews 12 says, uh, since we're gathered around so cloud, let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. By the way, the word rule there is the same word the Bible would use in other places to describe the Bible itself. The word canon. It's our rule of faith. We, we have, so we're running and, and God has a standard. And it's in this book. These are the rules of running the race. These are the rules of being a soldier in His army. And let it, they're not crowned. Uh, Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9 when he talks about he buffets his body and keeps it under, under he keeps himself disciplined. He says, so unless I preach to others, but at the same time while I'm preaching, I'm disqualified because I'm not doing it God's way. Yeah, I'll preach, but then I'm not living right. And he said, and I'll be disqualified. Uh, I don't want to live like that, Paul says. Then look what he says. So, we have to compete according to the rules because we want the crown. Look at verse 6. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering Bound with chains as a criminal. But the Word of God is not bound. Amen? Think about that. And Those are some pretty rough words Paul uses. Obviously, he was being mistreated. And, and uh, it wasn't legal what they were doing, but they did it anyway. Therefore, I endure everything. Look what he says. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we've died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we, would, if we deny Him, He also will deny us. 
If we are faithless, thank God He remains faithful. Because it is all about Him. Because He cannot, he cannot deny Himself. Um, listen to what Peter says. That uh, you know, He says we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then He says the reason we are who we are he says, is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Paul here gives us three little word pictures and we'll come back to them. He says, it's like we're a soldier in God's army. It's like we're a runner running a marathon. One of faithfulness. And it's like we're a a hard-working farmer. But I want you to notice that all three events, all three word pictures, talk about what's going to happen, not only as you're living it, but at the end. A farmer gets the crop. A soldier wins the battle. The runner gets the crown. We're running not for Jesus as much as we're running to Jesus. Amen? Let's stand together for prayer.